joining us on the 11th episode of our podcast called The Research Behind Lift the Lid, where we talk to researchers previously funded by Australian Rotary Health about their research findings. I'm Jessica Cooper and today I'll be speaking to Professor Owen Kalaki from Origin. Professor Kalaki received a mental health research grant from Australian Rotary Health from 2008 to 2011 for his project called Vocational Recovery in Young People with First Episode Psychosis a randomized controlled intervention trial examining vocational, health, economic, and social outcomes. Professor Kalaki is Associate Director of Graduate Research and Education and the Head of Functional Recovery Research Program at Origin. He has worked as a clinical psychologist in adolescent and adult public mental health settings and in private practice. Owen's research is primarily in helping young people with mental illness recover well. This includes finding ways to help young people with their education and employment and improve their physical health. Another focus of his research is in service system reform in mental illness. So thank you for joining us today on our podcast, Owen. How's everything been going for you working from home? Generally pretty good. I mean, I've, I've missed being around the people at work and the sort of interaction that you just have, you know, but um, I guess we're very fortunate in, in what we do that a lot of what we can do or what we do do is that can actually be done from home so it's um yeah yeah it's good yeah. to have that flexibility we might not have been able to do this you know many years ago if, if this happened no no and i and looking you know, i guess i'm mindful too that there's a lot of people who um their employment is not as flexible as this and, and probably it's a much more worrying time for them than mm. than i'm fortunate to be experiencing so yeah well, I guess, yeah, we, we, part of your background has been looking at helping young people with employment to, to help them recover from mental illness. And I know that at this time, employment looks a bit different to many people, whether it yeah, you know, be through working from home and receiving JobKeeper payments and for some not being employed at all. So uh, would you like to talk a bit about the, the potential impacts this may have on mental health and, and maybe any advice for people struggling with employment and mental health at the moment? Um, I guess one of the things that one of the reasons that I first got into this whole area was because, you know, in my clinical work, I kind of really noticed the, um, the importance of role for people. And obviously, for, for a lot of us, um, employment is central to the way we construct our own identity and our, our, our own role. Um, and I'm imagining at the moment for a lot of people, you know, where work is either precarious or they're not sure what's going to happen or perhaps they've actually already lost their job. Um, there, is a, there is a big impact uh, on the way that they're feeling about themselves and perhaps even questioning, you know, what's going to happen and who they are in the context of all that. Mm. Um, in, the, in terms of the short term of people managing their mental health at, at this time, um, you know, there'd be a lot of the sort of usual things that we would say to people as well. So, you know, and trying to ensure that you've got a support network around you. Um, it's a very difficult time to be beginning to look for, for new work, but I would encourage people who, who can to, to look for work because there is still some work um, available. Yeah. Um, and also for people, for perhaps, you know, if things are beginning to get 
quite difficult to go and talk to their GP um, and maybe look to getting some, you know, uh, more professional help if that's what they need. And to not be shy of actually doing that and to do it early because um, better early than late. Yeah, oh, that's great advice. Well, thank you for that. Um, I know it was, you know, quite some time ago now, about 12 years ago, you received a grant from Australian Rotary Health um, to conduct that randomised controlled trial on an intervention for vocational recovery in young people with first episode psychosis. Uh, would you like to tell us a bit about uh, why this kind of project was so important at the time and, and some of the original aims? One of the things that um, we'd become really aware of in some previous work we'd been doing, um, which was looking at uh, CBT for young people with psychosis, was that we could do a reasonable job of helping people manage their symptoms. Um, and I think there had been this assumption that once people's symptoms kind of resolved, everything else in their life would just click back into place and they'd get back to school and they'd get back to work. Um, but we saw in the clients that we were working with that that wasn't happening. Um, and then when you sort of look at the literature, it, 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 it's pretty much never happened. Um, and so what we began to think is that, well, maybe people need some more targeted help around um, whether it's school or work. And the other thing about that was that when we were talking to people, the thing that they most wanted to do was to get back to these very normal activities, whether it was school or work, given the age group that we're working with. Um, and so we decided it would be really good to try out uh, an intervention to see if we could help them with that. Yeah, so I guess um, what, what kind of findings came from this? Well, prior to, to the work we were doing, around about 90% of our young people were staying um, unoccupied, whether that was you know, not studying or not working. And the sort of trajectory of that was that eventually most people um, would end up on a disability support pension. Um, and we know that most people who end up on a disability support pension don't get off of it, even if they, if they want to. Mm. What we found with this intervention was that we could actually get 90% of people with psychosis back to school or work. Um, so we could completely put the, the mirror image of this uh, around. And of course, at this point in life, you know, when you're still young, um, if you can be engaged with school or you can be getting a start in, in um, a career you know this stands you in good stead for the future because part of what makes it difficult I think for people with mental illness is you know the onset happens in this sort of late adolescence or early adulthood time um, and ordinarily what you'd be doing then is finishing school and maybe getting some more educational training and then transitioning into work um, but if you have this onset of mental illness, then sometimes you miss those tasks. You miss learning how to do them. Um, you know, and I, I always remember, you know, and I was very fortunate growing up, but just trying to find my first casual job, I had no idea what I was doing. Um, but I had a lot of support to help me do that and, you know, to make a few mistakes along the way. Um, but if you miss that kind of developmental period in your life because you're busy trying to take care of your mental health, um, you often don't learn those, those skills and, and it's very difficult to come back to them later. So helping people get into that stuff early, I think also gives them skills that they can take through the rest of their life um, to continue to be doing the things that they want to do. Yeah, I guess that, that's something that you, you don't really think about too much when 
you know, considering, you know, treating mental illness, you know, it actually, you know, it's about keeping busy and, and doing those important things like, you know, going for a job and, and all of that. So, yeah, that's, it's very important research. Um, yeah, uh, well, I guess um, the main aim of conducting this kind of research is to translate the findings into practice and, and use them out in the real world to help real people. And so I'm just, I'm just wondering, have these particular findings led to anything like that? Yeah, so we've been really um, concerned that we didn't just do this study and publish some papers and pat ourselves on the back and just move on to the next thing. Um, and we tried definitely, I think, in that period after 2011 um, to get government in particular to take notice of the things that we had found. Uh, and that was very difficult, partially because I think, you know, I was not particularly experienced at doing that um, back then. Um, but we were saying, you know, these great research results, you should change the entire way you approach, you know, unemployment assistance for, for people with mental illness. Um, what actually changed things in the end, though, was instead of just pushing our research at people, um, we started to think about, well, how does this look from the government's end of things? Well, you know, what's, what's important there? Um, and so we took our results, but we also wrote a bit of a review of the policy landscape around this area in Australia. Um, and we did some you know, media and advocacy around that. And um, the person who was the social services minister at the time, who um, happened to be uh, Scott Morrison, um, was really sold on the idea that you could potentially help people get into work. Um, and that would, that would avoid them eventually getting onto a pension, which was his portfolio responsibility. Um, but then that they would actually be, you know, engaged in the things that they wanted to be doing as well. Um, and so, uh, he funded uh, a $17 million trial of this across a number of Headspace sites. Um, and that got up and got started. And um, in 2019, uh, the guy who was the then social services minister, Paul Fletcher, uh, funded another $17 million to expand and continue that trial. So my understanding, we're, we're not involved with the trial, but my understanding is that that's going quite well. Um, and, you know, I'd, I'd like to see that eventually expanded to all the headspaces um, around the country uh, so that all young people who are attending those places who would like to work on their um, engagement with school or getting into the workforce, you know, have the specialised support to, to help them do that. But, um, you know, I, I definitely don't want this to be something that, that ends up being a, a few useful journal articles for myself. Um, much more important that it gets to where it can be used. Well, it sounds like it's it's become quite big, you know, you're pouring pouring so much funding into into this program and now rolling out, you know, across headspaces across Australia. It sounds, yeah, like it's really doing well. Yeah. Well, I think so. And I think the evidence that we've produced and others have produced, um, the evidence from the, the DSS-funded trial um, you know, has made an impression on things so like the Productivity Commission in their recent interim report were very interested in this approach and thinking about how you could expand it beyond youth mental health into, um, you know, regular adult mental health as well. Um, and there's some jurisdictional issues that have to be overcome with that because, you know, states fund um, adult mental health. But uh, the fact that they're seeing this as... Um, 
a really useful intervention for people with mental illness is, is quite good. And so was this kind of intervention the first of its kind, would you say? It had been developed in the US uh, in adults with chronic schizophrenia. Um, but we were the first trial to take this into younger people with first episode psychosis. Um, and we also I mean, uh, expanded the, the outcomes to include education because at that time we were working with uh, 15 to 25 year olds. And for a number of those people, particularly at the younger end of that age range, um, you know, an educational outcome is, is the best kind of vocational outcome that they could get. Um, you know, to finish high school or to get some sort of equivalent to that. Uh, and just to give themselves a lot more options in the, um, in the labour market in the future. Yeah. Oh, great. Well, yeah, it sounds like it really has, you know, made a difference, you know, and, it, you know, it, there's so much potential for it to, I guess, you know, get even bigger. So, yeah, that's, that's really great. Um, I know one of the reasons that, that we um, created this podcast um, was to show Rotarians some of the outcomes that arise from the donations that they give to Australian Rotary Health. And it's been great to hear about the positive research findings from your grant project. So thanks so much for that. Um, I'm just wondering um, if you might be able to tell our Rotarians and anyone else who might be listening the kind of impact their fundraising and donations have had on your research personally and um, what, what continuing to fund research into mental health means for the, the bigger picture? Um, look, it, it's not gilding the lily at all to say that the money I got from Rotary pretty much made my research career. Um, you know, they took a chance on a, a young, <laughs> younger, um, 12 years younger than I am now, uh, researcher, they took a chance on an intervention that nobody else was wanting to fund them because it fell, you know, right in the crack between health um, and employment. Um, and the money that they put in made the absolute difference between whether this would have happened or not. Um, for me personally, like I say, it, it's led to a whole range of other opportunities that, you know, I wouldn't have even begun to imagine um, back then. Um, to put it in context, that was the first research money that I got in my own right. Um, and in the 12 years since then, I, I've been part of um, around about $30 million in research funding. So, you know, that $180,000 has paid off quite well in terms of investment for, for my career. Um, but I also think in terms of investment in the Australian community, um, you know, there's the $34 million that the government have put in and there's various other state governments have put in bits and pieces over, over time. But to think about it this way, there's around about, um, you know, 8,000 young people a year who now have access to an intervention to help them stay in school or to get into work that they wouldn't have had access to uh, if it wasn't for the money that Rotary put up at the start. So. Um, it's made an enormous difference both to me and I think to the community. Yeah, that's always so great to hear, you know. I think people, um, you know, who put this money in, they work really hard and, you know, seeing the outcomes, it's just, um, yeah, it's, it's really good. So thank you so much for, for joining me today and, and for talking about your research. So, yeah, I really appreciate it. That's not, not a problem. <laughs> no worries. Um, well, that was the 11th episode of our podcast called The Research Behind Lift the Lid. 
it is always so inspiring to hear what researchers in Australia are doing to make a difference to mental health and how they are helping us on our mission to lift the lid on mental illness. On behalf of Australian Rotary Health, I would like to thank everyone who donated to our COVID-19 appeal recently for mental health research. It has been a tough year so far for donations and we understand how difficult it has been for many Rotary Clubs to go ahead with their usual fundraising events. So we appreciate your support, especially now. If you can, please continue supporting important mental health research like Professor Kalaki's by donating on the Australian Rotary Health website. Thank you for listening. Please join us again next time.